They kicked my butt and I absolutely loved it. And it just reminded me of what martial arts was all about. It reminded me of what life was all about. The things that challenge you, those things that scare you, kind of reignited my fire for martial arts and for learning and kind of reminded me of, of why I chose this path to begin with. So how are you doing? Are you all right for the next 45 minutes or so? Yeah, absolutely. I got my coffee ready. I've been traveling. My friend took a last minute bare knuckle fight. So I flew up to Montana on Friday to corner her. And I just got in last night. How are you with the, with the bare knuckle boxing? You've not done it, but you you kind of help out. Yeah, I haven't done it. It's crazy. <laughs> really crazy it's kind of one of those things it's really raw and i think you kind of have to build yourself up to it for sure as an athlete and also as a spectator you know but once you understand that both of those guys are in there to do the same thing it's just it, it's a very fast-paced combat sport you know would you ever do bare knuckle i don't think i have the i just think i've been competing mma for too long that the rules set aren't conducive to me i think i would front kick somebody in the face as they were coming in <laughs> or you'd have what you'd, you'd want to use all the skills wouldn't you i'd want to yeah for sure like especially like if they're coming in and just throwing like stupid bombs i think i'd want to clinch up and take them down you know body locks like all, there's just so many things that i just do instinctively from mma that i know for sure i would do in bare knuckle yeah i guess that's, and some of the facial injuries are horrific you get right well, you know, it just, again, it's like, it really is like, if you want it to be a good fight, you kind of have to have that dog in you. And I know I do, but like, to what degree do you feel comfortable with carrying those scars with you for the rest of your life? At what point is it worth it? I don't know. I guess that those are just the things that I think about in my head. Well, we I'm afraid that the way it goes, no interview with you can, um, can proceed without addressing your fighting name, right? <laughs> and I'm not, I know you, I know you have to talk about this all the time but like when I first when I first saw your fight so I first saw you when you got to the UFC because I'm kind of casual fan I don't watch all the other organizations so watching Bruce Buffer the ring announcer the octagon announcer what, watching him try to get his head around karate hottie karate hottie <laughs> <laughs> loves saying that actually like it's just one of his favorite like fight names to announce and um you know the more the longer i've been in the sport the more i have an appreciation for the fighters regardless if you win or lose because i know how much it takes to get in there and the higher up you climb on the ladder the more it's the more pressures like add up you know because when you first start doing it you you know you fight in you fight in small arenas like one of my first fights was in the back of a strip club you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that's how you know you're, it's classy right exactly <laughs> so it's like you know in barnyards and all these places and so when you first start doing it it's kind of like oh this is fun you know you're just kind of doing it for the experience and you're, you're you know you're um you're learning as you go and then before you know it you're fighting on ESPN, when where millions of eyes are on you, you know, at MGM, Madison Square Garden, T-Mobile Arena, all these huge events where your co-main main event under the lights and to just all of those things add up. People start knowing your name. The, the wins start mattering because it, uh, it determines whether or not you get the shot that you want. It, it gives you more leverage. And so it's like, how do you still go out there and perform and do what you love without letting those things affect you. Because you, you dropped out of college to become a fighter, right? So when you're, when you're at the state, which, I mean, now that you've had all this success, sure, it sounds cool. But like, there must have been a point with your family, particularly when you dropped out of college, you're fighting strip, car, strip clubs. <laughs> they, I mean, there must have been a point where they're thinking, just go back to college. I don't know, honestly, they never, you know, my immediate family, not at all. They saw ha what happened when I was at college and my light had dimmed a lot. 
you know, and they could see it. They could see that I was just kind of going through the motions and it, you know, I was doing good in school. I had a good GPA, but man, I definitely probably was only going through the motions. I, I was like a zombie and they saw how they, they could see it, you know, and they saw how fighting ignited my fire and um, they believed in me. So see, I didn't, I didn't get that from, from watching other interviews of yours about the light, the light dimming, because it sounded like you were kind of like from from the interpretation I got from it was that you were you were working your way through college and you, this opportunity came up. But are you saying it was a sort of escape from what, like minor depression or something? Maybe I wouldn't necessarily say. Well, I don't know. I guess I I don't know what I would call it. I just think that it wasn't what I expected, and life generally isn't, you know. So you. You graduate high school, and I was a, a very active student in high school, very involved. I did theater, I did choir, I was part of the the National Honor Society, I was a part of the leadership team, I was senior class president, and so I had an amazing community in high school, and I, I thought that going to college, it was going to be the same thing, I was going to have a great community, I was going to grow and flourish, and it just it just wasn't that, I, I really didn't have any friends I didn't have any community I would go go to my car to eat lunch do my homework in the car take naps in the car so like when I was going to college it was it was a a little bit more of an expensive college but my dad had told me that he was going to be able to help me out pay for the tuition and as soon as I registered for that college my dad got laid off and so in order to afford the tuition I had to start working that's why I started working at Hooters and so I was working I was working Friday Saturday Sunday doubles and then going to school so it was just like it just wasn't what I expected it to be and it wouldn't have mattered if it was something that intrigued me but I just felt like nothing that I was doing was really engaging my my mind and my heart so I wouldn't say I was depressed but it just definitely like I lost my sense of purpose and did that come back as soon as you started fighting or did it kind of build up, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So my mo- my grandma got sick in Thailand and my mom was telling me that she was going to go to Thailand to see her. I told her, you know, I think this is perfect timing for me. I'm going to take a semester off and kind of just take a break. And maybe if I'm taking a break from school, I can come back re-energized. So I went to Thailand with my mom. It was there that I was thinking, you know, I, I love to do all different martial arts. I did American Freestyle Karate, Kempo, Wushu. And I said, I'm in the motherland of Muay Thai. Like, this is the best place to learn Muay Thai. And so I asked my mom if I could spend two weeks at, at a Muay Thai camp. And she was like, sure. And man, they kicked my butt. And I absolutely loved it. And it just reminded me of what what martial arts was all about it reminded me of what life was all about the those those things that challenge you those things that scare you i mean i would wake up sore with bruises all all up and down my shins and blisters on my feet because they trained outside and and they made fun of me because i had like sensitive feet <laughs> they called like in thai they called me they called me like a like a little white girl because my feet were like like sensitive, you know. I see your soft feet from wearing shoes and training indoors, right? Exactly. So it like it it fired me up. It was like, no, I'm not soft, you know. And so there was just something about like the rawness, like watching these kids, these five year old kids wake up at five in the morning, go for their morning run, go to school, come back from school and train and then and and get it in the training sessions where they're doing 10 minute rounds and in between rounds they're not taking rests they're doing knuckle push-ups and I'm like this is what I want like this is and it just like I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it now like and so it was like this is what's gonna fire me up and so I like at that point I just decided I I, want to continue my martial arts journey and maybe in my mind I thought that that's what I was supposed to do was the college route because that's just the more traditional route. And so I just said, you know, I I, it, I don't have to live a traditional life, but, you know, and it was a huge decision to make. And I almost felt kind of embarrassed to do it because all my other friends were graduating with degrees and, and go, you know, going to these like prestigious colleges and stuff. But it just it, it wasn't for me. So that trip to Thailand, is that before 
done it before you've done any, any MMA. That was just to kind of to see what it was like. And then yeah. when you then when you're back home in in the UK, we don't have hooters, right? <laughs> I, I've I've seen it. I, I know a little bit about it in, from films, but it's it's a restaurant, right? But yeah, a restaurant with pretty girls working there. Is that basically Absolutely, what it yeah. is? Basically, yeah. And you know, it's funny because I'm like. I guess just speaking candidly, like I don't have big hooters. <laughs> so like, but we would go there because it's kind of just like a fun environment, you know? And as, you know, as a young, young adult, you would go there with your friends and hang out, watch the football games and enjoy like, you know, bar foods, wings and beer. So and it's, that, not like yeah. a, it's not like a sleazy place then. It's just, they just happen to have pretty girls working there. Is that how it yeah, I would say so. It, it, you know, it's it's just a fun environment with pretty girls that work there. And that's just what it is, basically. And it was when you were working there that you, what you ended up working as a ring girl, is that right? Yeah, you know, uh, locally. So carrying they, the cards in other, in yeah, other fights, yeah. So with some lo- on, on some local fight cards. Mm-hmm. And so you, and at this point, you've you've done martial arts, but not MMA. So you've done your black belt in karate, I think it was. So you're watching these people fight thinking, maybe I could do that. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what, how it was. It was like, I had no idea what MMA was. And I, it was during the time when there were still blockbusters. I don't know if they had blockbusters in the UK, but that's how you would rent movies and stuff. And, you know, we would go to blockbusters and that was kind of like our family's thing. We would walk to blockbusters and rent two or three movies and watch them over the weekend. And I remember even seeing like UFC DVDs for rent. And in my mind, I thought it was kind of like the WWE, like fake wrestling type stuff so I never really paid any mind to it and when I when I became the ring girl for it I I started learning all the rules I'm like oh so it's with small gloves but you can it's not just boxing you can wrestle and you can kick and you can do all these things and I was like so you can basically they're like yeah it's mixed martial arts so you can use any martial art and they're like yeah as long as you win (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, wow, that's cool. I think I could actually do that, you know? And I was talking to the promoter and he kind of was, said, I got a black belt in uh, American Freestyle Karate. I've been competing since I was 10. And he kind of was like, okay, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah, <laughs> sure you have, love, yeah. That's sort of thing. So he just looked at you. Do you think he looked at you as a pretty girl and thought, ah. I just think that a lot of now looking back at it, there's a lot of people are intrigued with the idea of being a fighter. It's kind of like being a rock star. You know, you're like, man, that would be cool. I want to be a warrior. But like when it comes down to it, like when it really comes down to to like step inside the cage, like not very many people really like that idea. Had you done enough? Had you done enough martial arts to sort of have the pain and you know to to really push through stuff? Because I know some people can, you can do a bit of tip tap martial arts and maybe you don't you don't put yourself through that much. So was there a point when you started MMA when you're like, "Ow, oh, this hurts. I don't like this," or did you just <laughs> did the did it just ignite the warrior and you weren't bothered by that? Yeah, point. I mean, I don't know if anybody like knows the difference between point sparring and like fighting but point sparring is basically like an elevated tag you know and so that's the that's the type of combat sport that I was used to and it wasn't it wasn't that I wasn't I was definitely not used to it but it wasn't like a ow I don't want to do this it was like ow that hurt let me get you back so it, it really ignited that fight in me. I think that there were just there are really two types of people, fight or flight. And you really never know what type of person you are until you're put into those situations. And I'm definitely a fight person. You know, if if you if you get me riled up, I'm not gonna run from the situation. You became a champion of Invicta FC, which is a women's yes. organization, right? And at this point, there were no women in the UFC. And in fact, the UFC boss had said women will never be in the UFC, which seems amazing now because they've gone on and been, you know, top billing along with the men and and far ahead, I have to say, of other sports, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the biggest sport in here in in the UK is football and soccer and 
it's only just getting some recognition for the women's game, you know, and the, it's growing bigger now. Whereas, whereas MMA, I mean, women are, you know, they're, they're, they're headlining events all over the place. So it's been an extremely rapid transformation to know we're not having women to mm-hmm. having women top of the bill, which has been amazing. But at that point, so you, so you won this, you won this championship. You had a child, right, at this point. So you, so your daughter's 11 now, is that right? Yes. Um, so I've got a 12-year-old, so I'm, it's, it's just amazing to see. And I find it hard to reconcile these two sides of you because you're obviously, you know, you're very active on social media and you're obviously a great mum and love that side of your life. And a lot of the times you put mum before you'll put fighter. But the, the one thing I didn't know that I just heard this morning actually was that when you had your first fight back, you were still breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I try to explain to people like, because they're like, do you bring your daughter to your events? Does she know what you do? And I was like, 100% absolutely. She knows everything that I do. She's She's been along for the ride even before she knew it. <laughs> she's been at all your fights, right? Pretty much. Um, Pretty much, is, um, with the exception of the ones uh, during COVID. Okay, so where practical, she's been at all your fights. I mean, what's it? And there's some... There are some well-publicized pictures of you not looking like you do now, right? With a kind of, <laughs> it's not the worst post-fight face I've seen, but you know, you've had some, yeah, you've had some pretty significant facial injuries and various other things as well. What's it like? What's it like facing your daughter off after that? Is that tough? I think it is absolutely. It is tough, but I also think that you know our children learn from our actions more than they do from the things that we tell them. And it's important for her to see all sides of my journey, not just the good. It's it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because in life, you experience more failures than you do successes. And if I just showed her, yeah, babe, you could do anything you want. And it was like a Disney like movie where you, you, know, you failed once and then you got back on your feet and you became this superstar like that's just that's just not true and i think if you tell your children that then when they do experience adversity i think it gives them a false sense of confidence that they'll get that all they have to do is try hard one time so i think it's important for them to see the bad and for her to see me go through those things and pick myself up, dust my shoulders off and, you know, through the tears, through the bruises, continue to truck forward. Yeah, I think it's because children, they want to think their parents are sort of invulnerable and can do anything. And I think growing up, it's it's important to realise that your, your parents are human beings. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard, really. It is like when I, I think about how I viewed my parents as a, as a child. You know, when you're a kid, it's like that's mom and that's dad. Like those are, that's kind of their role. You, you, you know, you don't think that they're allowed to, to have emotions or they're allowed to waver. And then as you get older, you realize like, oh man, like they have their own set of emotions, their own journey, their own problems that they were dealing with on top of taking care of me. And so you just, you don't realize those things until you become an adult and you have to go through your own set of issues. Yeah, and I think when you're when you're little, you think grown-ups have kind of got it all sorted. But you, it's when you have kids, you, you realise that you're still one yourself to an extent in that you're still the same person you were. Okay, hopefully you've, you know, your toilet trained and things like that. But, you know, you, you've got various th- childish things within you. And I've seen having my own kids. It's a, This is a chance to properly grow up now because, you know, you see them being childish and, okay, you have, you might have the same feelings, but it's up to you to kind of, so I think you grow up as a child and then you have kids and then you, it's your chance to grow up again really in grown. a way. Yeah, because you, you, you have to. Like, well, now I've actually got to grow up because I, right. be, I can't be the one right. throwing you know, my toys you know, out. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've come to realize as well is there are so many people in this world that are adults but aren't haven't really become a man or a woman. They haven't, like, I, I, the. I don't think age necessarily gives you the passage to say that you've you've matured into into an adult. And so I, I I've seen that where I've seen some like young adults are very mature and responsible and have come into their own. And I've seen the opposite where, you know, I've seen fifty year olds still acting like children. And so I you know, I've really realized now that I'm older, you know, we all have our, our, our separate journeys and there are some adults that still haven't learned learn those things for them to really like come into their own as adults yeah you don't get any points for just 
sticking around and getting older yeah. too. you have to actually but yeah you have to be you have to be doing something you have to be moving forward in some way don't you yeah and I think that um you know when we're when we're growing up as children we're forced to because we go to school you know there's something put in front of us we have you know kindergarten through fifth grade and then that's you know that's an accomplishment and then we go through high school and that's another accomplishment there's something set in front of us that's like an actual tangible goal and then college there's all these like tangible goals that that are put in front of us and then a lot of times once you know once those those things that we're obligated to do are all done you know you think okay I'm done I'm set for the rest of my life no like I think as adults it's the most important thing to continue to learn and to continue to grow and that's another reason why I love martial arts is because it's endless endless learning the more you learn the more you realize you don't know anything and and that's the only way you you actually grow is putting things in front of you that you don't know breaking it down and trying to figure it out and and actually allowing yourself challenges and and room to grow have you got a fight coming up you got one booked no i don't have anything booked right now i'm kind of just waiting on a couple of things and then we'll talk to the the promotion oh we're, we're thinking maybe we'll get something by the end of the year because i mean you're fighting a long time now right yep 16 years now you still look about 23 i would say <laughs> and i'm not that, i'm not saying that to flash you but you do you have that very youthful look but i guess they're, they're tough years fighting right i mean they take a, they take a lot out of you do you look forward and think how much longer you want to do it for or is that is that not a good way to think as a fighter you've always got to think because yeah, I, I, I almost hesitate to ask because as soon as you ask anyone over the age of 29 about the yeah. You know, about about the future it's sort of like they often don't want to talk about it because you know you're you're one of the best in the world people if, if you are one of the best in the world people still want to make a run at the title right and it's amazing to think how in terms of elite it is because for people that don't know the UFC is the by far the biggest MMA organization in the world and there are tons of them right you know there are mm. ones you'll not have heard of down the road from me and they're all over the world so this is the very pinnacle of a massive massive sport and you've got, you know, you've fought the very best there are out there. So this is an extremely elite thing that I think the casual fans possibly don't realise. You know, they right. might they might watch an occasional main event, see someone lose and think, oh, well, they're probably not very good. But everyone in there is is awesome. And you say you fought the best in the world. But I mean, going back to it, is it something you is it something you think of? Like, I don't want to fight past this age or I don't want to fight until I've accomplished this. Or do you have those thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it would be silly of me not to. I, you know, I have to be realistic about the situation. Fighting is a young man's sport and a fighter's career is very short lived. I'm extremely lucky and blessed to have been able to, you know, to fight for this long and, and still, you know, have my wits about me. I do believe that I'm still in my prime. I'm 36 years old. You know, I'm healthy, still hungry for, for knowledge and still hungry to get in there and capture those moments. I think, um, sorry, it's my coffee machine. But but I also understand like these are the final chapters of my MMA story. I know that, but I'm the one in charge of writing my story. And so for me, like I I do think about it and and that's why during my times off, like this time, I'm taking the time to see what other avenues there are in life. Who else am I outside of being a fighter? Because it's not just my sole identity as a fighter and if i if i did feel that way it would be devastating when i when i was retired because it's kind of like somebody that's in the military and gets out of the military because your whole your sole purpose is very you you, you get tunnel vision and you get so focused because you're in the zone and then when you when you pull yourself out of it you you lose quite a bit you lose a community you lose purpose you lose your sense of self and those things are important. And so I think it's important as a fighter to to really find out who you are before you before you step away because and, and also just like give yourself worth outside of being a fighter. I'll still be fighting, but I also have, you know, opened businesses. I've also ventured into doing movies. I've also, you know, been behind the scenes doing analytic work for the UFC. There's so many things that I love to do. I just have to remember to be as passionate about those things as I am about fighting. I haven't thought about retirement because there are things that I still 
feel like I haven't accomplished in the UFC that I still want to. So that's kind of where my mind's at. And what would what would that be to your accomplishment? What would that mean? I, I, I you know, for a long time, it was the belt, you know, and it's just there's just so many things that are outside of my control in order to to get there. It's not up to me to match up my fights. It's not up to me to say, yeah, Michelle, it's your turn. It's not up to me to put me in a certain spot for the rankings. So there are a lot of things that are outside of my control. So for me, I think about moments that I want to be able to cherish for the rest of my life. I think about how much Holly Holm was on cloud nine when she shook the world and knocked out Ronda Rousey. Those moments where you're in the zone and nothing else matters and everything is in slow motion and you're just able to pick your shots and you're two steps ahead of your opponent. I want that moment in the UFC. I want a moment where it's like I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of my opponent. I'm in control of the environment. And I was the one that got myself there and and was able to put on the performance of a lifetime. Okay, so so not necessarily the belt, but some sort of transcendent performance are you looking for? Is that what you mean? Yes. So something, but you've, I mean, you've had tons of amazing performances before. What what was lacking in those? I think I have. I think my, my performance with Paige was amazing. I thought that when I fought Angela Hill, I was able to kind of like pull the dog out in me and really come through and, and grab that victory. But I think it's just kind of like that, I don't know how else to explain it other than it being a natural high that kind of can escape you when you like when you haven't tasted it in a while. It's like you 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 yearn for it. And that's what you chase for. I've had submission of the nights. I've had fight of the nights. I'd like to be able to like showcase my my striking. So I'd like to be able to get like a knockout of the night. I'd like to be able to showcase my karate background and give myself permission to flourish inside the octagon under the lights. You mentioned Holly Holm. I think you, I think you quite often, for me as, as a fan, you quite often learn more about people when they lose. So one, one, one I'm thinking of with her is either the next fight or the fight after that, I can't remember when she, after she won the title. She, she lost her rear naked choke right now. Most people they they tap out when they realize it's too you know they realize the choke's on they tap out. The last thing she did before going unconscious, I don't remember, was she she threw two. Yeah. She so her, her brain was obviously going to shut down, and she just threw a flurry of punches into the air. And so it's almost like she's going to shut down. She's losing the fight, but her dying instinct is just to carry on fighting. And yeah. I thought I thought that was. That was amazing, that clip of her just trying to punch her way out because you just think there's no there's no quit in this woman. And that's not to say no disrespect to anyone that taps out. There's, no, there's, nothing, wrong, there's nothing wrong with it. But right. just seeing that refusal in her. It's mm. amazing. It really is. Or even, Con- even Conor McGregor, you know, he broke his leg and he was still, he was still like... Talking <laughs> still talking crap. And a lot of people don't like, you know, and those are two very different different figures one sort of wholesome lovely and then conor mcgregor we all know what he's like but yeah, yeah there's but something of that dog concept. in there sorry that's it that's it it's still the same concept right it's like you know once a fighter always a fighter it's just it's in them and and i definitely think that's why i have such a high respect for holly because i've seen her i mean i've seen her shake the world you know and accomplish great things but i've also also experienced seeing her get knocked out cold and the type of person she was after those extremely low lows. And I I was blown away and inspired more than anything that I've ever seen because in those scenarios, most of us would want to tuck away and hide and, and not be exposed to the world. And she would swallow her pride, wipe off the blood from, from the fight and go out to the press conference and congratulate her opponent and be in the, and be in the gym the very next day. Yes, amazing. I think this is what you know, people that don't fight, I mean, the fascination, obviously it's fun to watch, but I think the reason everyone has that sort of hankering is it's hard to find anything else as real, you know. Mm-hmm. Pick, you know, pick a job. There's nothing that's just kind of, that makes you as vulnerable and as real as going out there, you know, and putting it all on the line. So I think, there's, yeah, there's huge respect for that. But yeah, seeing, seeing people like her just zero quit is incredible. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's heartbreaking, you know. That's why people, you know, are so that's why that's the sport is so intriguing because you get to see somebody celebrate something that they've overcome, but you also see the other side of it. You see the heartbreak of it. You know, and you see it simultaneously. Yeah, and it and it makes me I have to say like I mean, I love the sport, but I'm I'm a slightly not a reluctant fan, but I, you know, I've I've slight misgivings in that. Yeah, you when someone gets knocked out, there's something really weird. I think about watching one person celebrating, jumping onto the edge of the cage, and the other person is receiving medical attention and maybe hasn't mm-hmm. yet regained consciousness. I, mm-hmm. I think you, you you sort of catch yourself there. You can't as a fighter, you can't you can't be worrying about that because you you, right. you, know, you need to be going full out. But there is something weird about the spectacle of celebration, crazy celebration on the one side and the other person at best is devastated because they've lost. And that, and that means, but at worst is possibly unconscious or being helped back to their feet or God forbid in certain organizations worse, you know? So do you ever, do you have any of those misgivings about it or can you not afford to? I think that I've been able to wrap my head around it in a way that it is, necessary that balance in life the light and the dark it's like two sides of the same coin you know it's like the yin and yang day and night we all we all can pretend that we want things to be you know sunshine and rainbows but there is a necessary balance to life i think that's what that's what fighting shows is just like both sides of it and it's just it's just the way that that life balances itself out have you had sort of low moments when things have not gone your way or you know you've, and you, you or you've had a fight that you've had fights cancelled because of injury and family issues and stuff have you had points where you just think oh, this isn't I for do. me anymore you do I don't think that this is for me anymore but I think like sometimes I'm just like why like if I'm being honest like the feelings that I go through after a loss is you know I put so much into this like my whole heart my whole life my whole soul my family sacrifices I, fa- I sacrifice time from my family and and for what like what for 15 minutes of the world watching me fail and it's easy it's so easy to give into all those negativities and I think it's because the, those feelings are so devastating that they stick they stick with you and they haunt you and they weigh you down it's so much easier to carry that burden than it is to to look at the positive you know it, it's so crazy to me how you can go through an entire fight camp that's amazing and even an entire fight because in my last fight even if we're talking about my last fight I was winning before I wasn't you know in a split second you know it's all taken away from you and it's easy to think like it's easy to allow that moment of a failure overshadow all of your successes all the things that I did well all the even just Cutting weight to to 115 is a huge accomplishment. Learning, adding new tools to my repertoire is a huge accomplishment. Being on that stage, you know, stepping inside the octagon, all of those things are huge accomplishments. But why do you not give yourself permission to, to celebrate in those just because you lost for a single moment? And so I find myself being getting down and being sad about all that. And then I have to realize, like, that is just a singular moment. That is just a, a blip in in just one moment in an accumulation of of many moments where I've had successes. Like, what? Why do I have to put such importance on a win or a loss when there's, in my opinion, I've gained, I've grown, and um, I'm still evolving. And and I didn't give myself permission to to congratulate myself for those things. And so sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we put too much importance on on the wrong moment, you know. And what is your answer to that question? Why, you know, how do you how do you reconcile that? Why why do I beat myself up over this one bad moment when I've had all these lots of? What's your answer? Why? I think it's just because that's what we're trained to do. Because because it is so hard to win. We put such a huge importance on it. And it, and especially as a professional fighter where that's my career, it is important. It's so, it's so strange how like it has to be the most important thing, but you also have to not give a shit. You also have to like understand that it is, it really means nothing at the end of the day. I'm still going home with my family that loves me. 
I'm healthy. So you have you <laughs> you have to think both. It has to be everything and nothing all at the same time. But yeah, like as a professional fighter, if I don't win, I get paid half of what I was initially slated to get paid. I get knocked down the rankings. I have less leverage going into my next fight. I might get cut from the UFC. If I, I mean, it can go on and on and on. The the reporters will talk about how I need to retire. They say they'll say that I'm you know, done, da, 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 da. And then it just adds up and it starts to snowball into this huge, like haunting monster that, that you can't get a hold of. Or it can be like, uh, yeah, um, you know, it was, a, I, I went left when I was supposed to go right. And what? Like, <laughs> you know? I guess there's, there's always, there's always going to be people that give, give you a hard time, you know, particularly if you've got other stuff going on. You know, I think women get this more than men, but even even the men get it. One of the male fighters, Luke Rockhold, is a kind of, you know, good looking model type. And and I think he gets he gets hate just because of that. How can he be good at for and be be so good looking? You know, so the sort of thing it's unfair that you've got too many qualities. So plus anyone <laughs> in the anyone in the public eye is gonna get get grief. And you because you you know, you do a lot of social media stuff. Are you just good at are you good at just shutting it out then? I think a lot of the times those people are miserable in their lives. They're so focused on other other things that they've lost lost sight of them themselves and the, the, their focus and their priority is to critique the way others live their lives when they haven't even taken the time to to put challenges in front of themselves and that's kind of how I just wrapped my wrapped it around my mind is my my smallest failure is most likely something that they'll never have the chance to do. Saying that, yeah, I think that's spot. I think that's spot on. It's exactly why it's not worth dedicating any of your headspace to it. So if you just got good at of, of just focusing on the positive things and putting your stuff out, and that's it. Yeah, I don't really pay any mind to it. I think that it's it, it really is a a waste of time. There's um there's this like old um, folk story that talks about um two two wolves in your mind and they're always battling you know um one black wolf and one white wolf and the 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 white wolf is full of courage and positivity and hope and and the other wolf is full of you know hate and resentment and doubt and fear and they're always battling and the the boy asked the grandpa so what wolf wins and the grandpa said the wolf that you feed the one that you give feel to and and it's so true it's like you, you think you can or you can't and either way you're right you know so it, it really is uh you know on what you put your energy into i like that which wolf wins the wolf that you feed mm-hmm. is this from your mum's side of the family this sounds like wise old wise old <laughs> a wise old pie saying to me it's actually a native story is mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. oh i like it but yes and it's very true isn't it what do you you know which one do you allow to grow to grow mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's a very good point and it made me it reminded me of something i wrote down that you said in another interview that you said because you know i think you you're being emotional about something i can't remember what it was and you said that you think vulnerability is a strength which yeah having talked about needing the dog in you to to fight you, do you think you need the, the vulnerability is also important because i think a lot of fighters would think about pushing the vulnerability away and making themselves you know, as invulnerable as possible. But you saying that you think it's a, a strength vulnerability. Is that did I hear it right in the interview? Yeah, absolutely. I I do. You know, there's no. You know, you're going to be put in a place where you are exposed and you're vulnerable. You know, at one point in your life, uh, especially in fighting, and the ones that are able to pull through that are the are the ones that are able to to advance to get to that next level and. Uh, the, those ones that are, are able to accept it, you know, I think of Arasanya, Holly, John, all those people when, you know, when push comes to shove and, you know, they're put in a place where they are vulnerable. How, how do they act? You know, how, how do they get through that? And they, it's just, it's just acceptance, right? Like it is what it is. Like, this is me. And, um, and, and we're moving forward from it. It's just, they accept that part of them. Unlike a lot of fighters, you've been with the same gym for a long time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much since my since the start of my career, I've been with, at Jackson Wink. 
And and do you think in that loyalty, do you, do you think that once you're not fighting anymore, whenever that is, do you think that means it's more likely that you'll carry on like training other fighters and stuff or will the lure of commentary and movies potentially, does that, do you know which direction you might be pulled in or do you think you'll always want to be involved with martial arts? I would love to be able to corner. I'd love to be able to give back. And I think there's, there's so much to learn as a teacher as well. You know, right now I'm a fighter, so I'm the one, I'm the student, but I, I think it would be very beautiful for me to have gone full circle and, and to be able to impart some knowledge that I've been able to accumulate over the years to somebody else that is going on, on their journey and, and to be there for them as a mentor. I think but, it's so, that's very important. But presumably already at the gym, you, you're one of the people that others look to. So presumably you're kind of helping others out along the way as you go. Is, is it, or does it not work like that? Is it very selfish, focused on your own stuff when you're fighting? No, I, I feel like I've just, it's so funny because like, you know, I've been fighting for 16 years and I've been at the gym since I was 21 years old. And, you know, the, at the gym, they call me peanut because when I was going into the gym, I, I mean, I got a little peanut head when I first went over there. You know, I was just this little, young, innocent, green fighter. And I was everybody's baby sister. And uh, it's just, it's so funny for me to wrap my head around the idea that I'm one of the OGs, one of the veterans at the gym now. But I, I wouldn't want to say within this last couple of years, I've really, really accepted that role and have realized and in, in looking around and seeing all of these new up and coming fighters, young and hungry, eager for a mentor. And I think it's important for me to step into that role and, and be there to talk to them about the ups and the downs, about the, the journey and to explain to them like, it isn't a sprint, it's a marathon and and, and you have to be able to be in it for the long haul like your success isn't going to be overnight you have to you have to accept the idea that maybe you won't you know hit your stride until you're a decade in and if you're okay with that then you're in the right sport and if you're not maybe you should do some introspecting and and see what is it that you have to do to get your head wrapped around that because i guess these young people they might come in they think give me six months and i'll be i'll be champion and you'll say whoa easy now i mean you never know but it, i think that's you know that's kind of the mindset of a young eager fighter is they see all, all this success and then they walk into the gym and they see me and holly home and this this roster of fighters that are in the ufc and they think maybe if i do this for a, a couple of months i can be where they're at <laughs> and you don't want to you don't want to spat their fire but at the same time you want them to understand like mm, it's it's going to take a little bit more than that. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You don't like you don't do that with other sports. Like like you don't watch the golf and think or the tennis and think I could do that in a few months. But there's something about fighting. There's something because it's like so because it's so primal. I mean, obviously you've got these thousands of hours of skills built onto it, but it is it is fundamental nature. It's still a primal thing. So everyone has some fight in them. Maybe right. not that much, but everyone's got some fight. Everyone can fight, you know, if they're defending their child, for example. Everyone's got some fight in them. So right. I think that it leads to this delusion where particularly blokes, not women, but they're watching it going, yeah, I could do I that. Could do I could do that. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It, well, it is that way. And it's also kind of like the learning curve in fighting. I always try to explain to people, like, when you learn, when you first, like, get into it, like, you absorb so much. And so you go, and you skyrocket. And you also, like you said, you're. we all have that innate instinct to fight, you know. And so you go like this in your trajectory. And, you know, you get a win, you get a knockout, you get a sub, and you have all of this initial success. But when you start getting into the upper echelons of competition, it gets smaller and smaller. And so the learning curve goes from this, from you growing leaps and bounds to this. To very fine and details. Very yeah. fine details. And and the difference between you and a champ is a centimeter, is a, a millisecond. Yeah, I think I think people like you see how many fights go to go the distance right and if like for people that don't understand the sport you say well how good do you think the two of them have to be and how close they have to be to fight for 15 or 25 minutes and do not be able to finish the fight mm -hmm. you know because you know if someone fights someone who can't fight it doesn't last very long you know right but to be able to go 15 or 20 or more minutes 
and not have a clear victory have to go to the judges this means you're like the skills are really really close you know very high level yeah and you know at the beginning of of anybody's fight career there are people still trying to figure out if they if they want to fight or not so like you said you'll get into the octagon with that person and you get this amazing victory those people are kind of that's what happens at the beginning of a fighter's career is that people are getting weeded out it's like yeah you thought you wanted to fight but you really you know that's just something that you're doing experimentally or that was just on your bucket list or uh, something you thought maybe you wanted to do as a hobby and then people get weeded out and as you, you as you climb the ladder it's like when you're playing video games it's like every time you climb the ladder opponents get harder and harder and harder yeah yeah exactly what when you when you don't when you're not in fight camp like now how how hard do you train are you thinking of like recovering or are you keeping your fitness level up how hard do you push I'm, I'm still training so when I'm in fight camp I usually train three to four times a day with Saturday I use for one hard training and then Sunday is recovery day and I'm in the zone and I'm watching a lot of tape and we're doing a lot of specific training for a particular fighter when I'm out of camp it's just the time to grow so when you're in camp, you kind of zero in and focus, you know, dial in your focus. And then when you're out of camp, you expand your horizon and kind of take a bigger look at, you know, your fight career as a bigger picture. What can you add to what can I add to my my toolbox that has nothing to do specifically with a, a certain fighter, but that's something that's going to make me a better fighter. And so I kind of broaden my horizon in that sense. And so I probably train once, twice a day. And is more about learning and growing and adding new tools to to my own skill set. So you're training for what for a normal person would be quite a lot, but it's maybe like half the amount you'd be training yeah. in camp. So, okay. Yeah. And I also think that it would be unrealistic to try to all year round train three, four times a day, not, not on a physical standpoint, but on a mental standpoint, because when you're getting ready for a fight, you're getting ready for battle and you have to put your your mind in a certain spot to do that. You put yourself in that fight or flight instinct. So all your all of your instincts are heightened. You're in the zone. You're single focused on a singular thing. It takes a lot out of you and it, you're asking a lot of your body and your mind to do that. And um, you can definitely burn out very quickly if you're in that state 24-7. Because your your husband is in your corner, right? Mm -hmm. like, and what, what what's that like? Is that is it weird sometimes? <laughs> I think we've done it for long enough to where we've got a good handle on it, and we understand that you know he wears. We both have to wear different hats at different times in our in our lives, and so I have to give him the respect, which was is is a hard for me to wrap my head around. Like when he's coaching me, because it's like sometimes he'll say. Sometimes I'll say things like, I'm just going to go tell Coach Wink because you don't listen to me when I tell you this. But Coach Wink will tell you the same thing and you'll take it in, you know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I was wondering um, if like, because you, because you, my wife has a voice that she uses with me, but doesn't use with anyone else. And I, and I yes. sometimes say to her, if you spoke to anyone else in that voice, which you never <laughs> would. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can, be, you can sort of be as rude as you like to your other half, can't you? Yes. Yeah. And so we we have to kind of work that out. Right. So sometimes he's, you know, he's wearing the coach hat and I have to wear the student hat. I can't I can't be his wife when he's trying to coach me because nothing gets through. I'm like, why are you talking to me like that? You know, <laughs> must be hard for um, him. Must be hard for him, though, too, because, you know, obviously and you're going out there, and, you know, getting punched and stuff. And it is. I guess he's just having to see you as a fighter rather than his wife at that point. You know, as much as he, as much as you can do that. Yeah, I think that. Um, that kind of is the hardest thing, you know, sometimes, you know, he's, he's my husband and, and, you know, he's my protector. So sometimes he sees me in the octagon and, you know, he wants to, to jump in and, 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 and save me and he can't. And I know that it's hard for him to look at me sometimes after the fight because of the damage that I've taken. And I think he feels some, some, like a sense of guilt for not being able to jump in and protect me. But it's like, it's, it's not about protecting me because I chose to step in there and do that. You know, we both signed the dotted line, but I just think like instinctively, you know, in any other scenario, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me get touched you want to let me get hurt yeah no it makes sense must be there's i guess there's very few people who know what that's like as we said women's fighting's new they kind most of them don't have their husband there so it's 
he's in a fairly unique position. I can't think of anyone else who's having to do that. Yeah. It must be tough. I think for him, the best way that he can protect me is to equip me with the best training. And I think that's what gives him some sense of peace is if we've gone through a fight camp and he's seen my training and he knows that I'm ready to go in there for battle. Like that kind of, that's it. That's what puts him at ease. Yeah, because he's, he's got a specific role there. He's not there your, as your husband because MMA fighters at the top level, they'll normally have a jiu-jitsu coach, a wrestling coach. And he's mm-hmm. your, I guess he's your boxing coach. Is, is that how it works or is it? Is it not? Yeah, I would say he's helped me with the boxing, but Josh just has an amazing eye for fighting in general. He can pick apart things. He can watch footwork and see what they're going to do. And, you know, he's I would say he's actually been in the, the MMA game longer in a professional sense, longer than he has for boxing because of my career. So he really has an eye to pick apart fights. And so, you know, his role in my in my corner is is to, to be an eye from the outside. He's there for me throughout fight week to help me cut weight, to keep my mind right. He's there when none of the other coaches are there, so he can kind of put the pieces together. When I'm talking to my sports psychologist, he gets to hear all of that. When I'm working with Coach Wink, he sees that. When I'm working, working with Brata and my jiu-jitsu, he gets to see that. So he's kind of the outside eye putting all the pieces together and kind of orchestrating and keeping all the, the, the coaches on the same page. Sounds like he's doing an amazing job as a you know coach and a husband. Oh yeah, absolutely he is. And I know it's a lot, um, but I, I think it's cool it, and 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 that's what makes the victories that much more exciting. We talk a little bit about this charity that we've both been involved with. So this is how we met. So there's a charity for people who don't know in the UK called Reorg. And it started by a former Royal Marine called Sam Sheriff. And the basic idea is people in the military, particularly leaving the military, often can, they can have problems, they can, you know, injuries and, and mental health issues. And it's using, started off as jiu-jitsu, but now all martial arts and all physical activity as a way of kind of keeping people, getting people back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you first hear about real well i was in wales for five months last year filming a movie called havoc and tom hardy is the main star in that movie and he is like in like a avid jujitsu practitioner and is just absolutely in love with jujitsu and it was really cool to have the, the the chance to work with him and get to know tom and anytime we weren't on set filming the movie we were rolling and he was the one that was started talking to me about reorg and got me a really cool gi and some rash guards and then they put me in touch with you oh awesome well, he, I, I actually saw him earlier he speaks very highly of you and your husband and your daughter he said because he must have met all of you he is he is so awesome and i think it's just it, you know it was really cool kind of being away from our uh, being away from the fighting and in a completely different world but it really did fighting for so long you kind of you get into this routine of of what life is and to have the ability to see somebody that isn't you know fighting isn't their full time or martial arts isn't what their full time is but to to kind of see Tom's passion in jujitsu and how excited he was to learn the smallest thing and how attention oriented he was in learning kind of reignited my fire for martial arts and for learning and kind of reminded me of of why I chose this path to begin with. And it's because you get to learn all these cool things and then you get to try to apply them. Yeah, he's crazy for the jujitsu now. He's probably mad for it. But but yeah, it, it becomes addicting for sure. And the, yeah, the, the good thing about Reorg, I think, is it, it opens up to because both Reorg and um, this sort of sister organization in the UK, in the, um, in the US, We Defy Foundation, they've both got a, a triple amputee involved. So, and, and this, yeah. is how the, this is how they started, because basically, you know, you've lost a limb, two limbs, three limbs in combat. You don't think you're going to be able to do martial arts. And like it can apply in a minor way. It was me and Tom both in our, you know, in our forties and had lots of injuries, and you kind of think, well, maybe martial arts isn't for me, but it's for, you know, it's for everyone, anyone, everyone, anyone who wants to do it, of course, because you know, there's no, you, if as long as you've got a limb, you know, and, and and you're willing to try, you can, you can get involved, and the effect it has on your life is is incredible, because you know, because particularly people who've been injured or they've been you know, mental health problems to the point where they feel that their life's over and they can't do anything anymore. 
and you get this not only you get this physical buzz from doing a sport that pushes you you get the whole community thing that goes with it it's lovely going to jiu-jitsu gyms you, everyone says hello to each other everyone's welcome each other in it's weird for people that don't know because you you're then trying to rip each other's limbs off but <laughs> you know, it's a it's that but, it's a weird well, thing I mean, that's kind of like what i was talking about earlier as, as far as it being like two sides to the same coin you know what i mean it, it's weird how through pain through blood sweat and tears you you learn how to love and you learn compassion and you you become humbled and i think that's what you get when you're in the military you get a community and and a brotherhood of people that you know have your back in in very very tough situations and when you're pulled from that it's like you lose a very real sense of yourself and there's a comfort and a trust that you know that you have a group of people that have your back and and when that's taken away from you it's kind of scary and and then that's what martial arts gives people is that sense of community that that knowing like man we put ourselves through really tough situations and at the end of the day I'll, I'm here for you yeah and and all, all the people I've talked to through reorg no one wants to bad mouth their whatever branch of the military they've been in but they do tend to say, to say the same story that if if you're having problems you don't really want to talk to anyone about it because you want to look tough so if you're having you know you've seen some bad things and you may be having PTSD or whatever they find it difficult to talk about it because they don't want to be that person who's you know got a question mark over their head and people go wonder if they can ride them so they, so they bottle stuff up right and when they leave there's not, there's no kind of decompression training or kind of like right. checking up on them. You sort of leave and they give you enough money to probably go and get drunk for a while. The worst right. thing you should do, but they don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a problem. So th this is why charities like these have, have come up again. No one wants to badmouth the military, but it's an, it's definitely an issue, you know, with, with what, what it's sure. like people going out, seeing horrific things and then just right, go back, Go, go out into the world and, you know, you won't find a job that's the same because, as you say, nothing's the same as being in the military because it's, you know, they're going. So I think having this group of people that they can, you know. Confide. Yeah, yeah and, and find a thing that they're into, just to find a thing, whether it's jujitsu or anything else, that blows away the cobwebs, gets you sweating every day and and just gets that gets that balance right. I think so. And I think that, like you were saying, like, it is an outlet, right? And to me, it's kind of like, it is a passageway. It is, it is something that will for sure make you vulnerable, but in a way that gives you strength. And so for sure, I think that a lot of people have issues and it's hard for them to talk about that. And that's why they feel like the only thing that they can do is, you know, turn to, to, to alcohol and stuff like that. But it is definitely not the only thing that you can do. And that's why I think martial arts is such an amazing tool to open yourself up, just exposing yourself in a way you can't roll by yourself, you know. So when, you, when you're having this role, it is an intimate connection with somebody else and they're doing it with you. And in that sense, you guys have shared a moment, just like in fighting. Like, that's why I have the utmost respect for anybody that I've stepped into the octagon with. Because at the end of the fight, whether you want it or not, you've given yourself to that, a, a part of yourself to that person. And they, and you've taken a part of them for yourself. And um, that's something that you will move forward with and, and you, you will forever be changed from those moments. And I think it, it is a perfect segue into being okay with being vulnerable. And then from there, like, like when I go into the gym, when I'm having a bad day, sometimes you don't, you don't even want to talk, but you just want to be around other people that know how you feel. And, and just being around other people that know how you feel gives you the comfort that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And generally you're in a different place when you leave anyway, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you come, you go through that and you come out feeling different, lifted up. You never, I would say you never regret going to train, do you? No. I never. mean, <laughs> I think sometimes you go in and you come out and you get, you, you're injured, you know what I mean? But that's just kind of a part that, <laughs> just something that comes along with training is like, you know, <laughs> just. 
Yeah, those things. Michelle, we're out of time, but listen, it's been so awesome to talk to you again. I do think it is amazing, you know, what you guys are doing. And um, just for, for anybody that's listening or thinking about like do, joining a martial arts, I would say don't hesitate one bit to do it. You know, as a martial artist, we all, we all know that you got to start somewhere and we're all accepting of everybody's journey. For, for me, I, I flourish in seeing somebody else learn and grow and be, like step into their own through martial arts. And so, like I always tell people that the, the gym is my, you know, is my safe haven, is my my sanctuary. It's where I go to feel at home. And and so I would say that um, like there is there is no judgment because like it's like we all that's what we do when we go there. We get to punch each other in the face and and then laugh about it afterwards, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, listen. It's great to talk to you and best of luck with everything, with your amazing family, first of all, fighting whenever that comes up again. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch again. It'd be lovely to talk to you again at some point. Absolutely. Thank you. You too. Cheers, Michelle. Bye. Bye.